I'd like to welcome those that are tuning in at this time by the way of the internet. We do thank you for your presence and we value your presence and we need your prayers. Please pray for us as we pray for you. And if you'd like to find your place in 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and if you recognize that tune as Calvary covers it all, and I'm glad it does. I'm glad for the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of our sins. And I'm glad that he died for me and that he was buried. He rose again for our justification. And we have hope because Jesus is coming again. And may we hold fast. I tell you, in the days we're living in, God has commanded us to hold fast. And he wants us to take a strong stand on the Word of God and just stay faithful to Him as we see that day approaching. And I'm glad that He's coming again. And I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, what are we to do? We're to hold fast. And uh, the, the title of the message is Year by Year. Year by Year. And I was listening to a message this past week and a preacher was preaching and, and he just mentioned something kind of in passing on. And he mentioned how that one of the characters in the Bible had a turning point. There was a turning point in his life. And, and then I got to thinking about that. And he, he that wasn't his message. He just kind of mentioned that in passing. And I began to pray and meditate and started looking at different things and uh, about turning points or breaking points in the lives of different Bible characters. And, and uh, there, there's both positive and negative there. I mean, you, you think about Demas. Uh, over in the New Testament, he had a turning point. There was a breaking point for him where he said that was enough. He, he was done. And for, for David, you know, one of his turning points was at Ziklag. And it was a turning point for him in his life. And he had many other turning points. But, but for there, it was a major turning point in his life. And can I ask you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced a turning point in your life? And... Here we have the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 of a lady who came to a breaking point. She came to a point where she just had to turn to the Lord. and uh, But it, it, it took her years to do that. And may the Lord help us to not do that and, 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 and to turn to Him real quick in our troubles and our times of need and especially in the hour that we're living in, how we ought to be living for him as we should. And we'll start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb." 
And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, and so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Alcana her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord." Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wasn't it good when the Lord remembers you? Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou hast weaned him, only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 
as you read this story, I mean, there's many verses here. and I mean, it, it spreads over the space of several years, of course, and from beginning to end. I mean, there, there could be a space here from each time that they went up year by year and all these things, knowing that Penina had, she had at least two daughters, she had at least two sons. I mean, you're, you're looking at least at a minimum five to ten years here over the span of this story. And, and a question comes to my mind, why did it take Hannah so long to turn to God? I mean, you think about it, year by year, year by year, she was given an opportunity to go to the Lord with her request, with her issue, with her problem, you know, and, and, and her situation of life there, and her, her burden was not getting any lighter. Matter of fact, year by year, it just got worse uh, to where finally Hannah came to a breaking point. Hannah realized and she saw that there was nothing that this world could do for her. Religion could not help her. The pleasures of life could not help her. Having all her needs met could not help her. Only the Lord could give her the desire of her heart. And in brokenness, she turned to the Lord. If you're saved today, if you've called on the name of the Lord, uh, then you've definitely experienced a turning point in your life. Uh, you turn to the Lord uh, in repentance uh, and faith. Uh, thank God for the day that I changed directions. Uh, I was once on that broad way that leadeth to destruction, but now I'm on that narrow way that leadeth to life uh, everlasting. There was a turning point in my life when I called on the name of the Lord to save me. I think about the Apostle Paul had a turning point. Uh, his turning point was on that road to Damascus there and he changed directions. Uh, he went from being a, a religious zealot to having a relationship and a zeal for Christ. The disciples, they had a turning point as well. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, it says, And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets uh, and followed him. Uh, their life would forever be changed. Uh, you talk about a turning point in their life. Uh, the Bible's full of testimonies of turning points in the lives of men and women in the scriptures. That prodigal son had a turning point in his life. Uh, the Bible says that he came to himself. He admitted that he had sinned against the Lord and against his father. He no longer wanted to live for himself, but wanted to live for his father, even if it meant just being a servant. He had left his house filled with pride, but he came back home in humility, and he cast himself at the mercy of, of his father. Oh, he found no mercy with the citizen of that far country. There's no mercy with the Lord. They will just use you and abuse you. There was no mercy to be found with the people of that country. The Bible says that no man gave unto him. But there's one thing he knew, that there was mercy for everyone in the father's house. 
Thank God for the day. Thank God for the day that you and I turned from our sin and turned to God and trusted Jesus as our Savior. That was a great turning point in your life if you're saved. If you're not, you can have that turning point today. But you know, even after salvation, God will bring us to turning points. One of the members of our church has testified many times that he, he thanked God for cancer and COVID. And, and that cannot be an easy thing to say. It, it was a difficult time in their life uh, for him and his wife, but it was also a turning point in their life. And God was at work in their life. And, and thank God for his mercy and grace, but God is always at work. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For my wife and I, our turning, one of the turning points in our life is when we were expecting our second child and, and, and we were told that he had physical problems and God had sent a faithful man of God to preach to us and prepare us for that turning point in our life. Oh, we went to church, we tithed, we went, I went out soul winning with the pastor and, and, but I was only really concerned about me, myself and I. I was not concerned with surrendering my life to the Lord but God used those messages to prepare our hearts for that turning point where we would no longer be living for ourselves but, but what we could do for the Lord. That whole turning point took about two years in our life and God so patiently worked in us and, and brought us to a breaking point where we surrendered to do his will. What will God have to do yet to break Christians across our land to turn to him? As bad as things are in our land and in the world, and by the way, it's not getting any better. We haven't seen a turning point yet. Matter of fact, over the past few years, we've seen a turning away from the Lord. When you consider the fact that there's twice as many churches closing their doors per year as there are churches opening that door, their doors, that tells you that there is a major turning away from the Lord. There's more churches without pastors in America than ever before. There are less musicians and less laymen in the churches than ever before. All surveys tell us that church attendance in general is in decline. We're in a mess. All you hear these days is people getting together to worship. If you think about Hannah's story here, they, they got together to worship year by year. But that didn't do anything for her until she reached a breaking point and a turning to God for help. I'm burdened for our country. But I have even a greater burden for those who profess to be saved and are turning away from the truths of God's word. Those who are embracing the ways of the world and falling right into the devil's playbook. 
here's what bothers me. These people say they've saved. They say they're saved, but, but yet they're turning away from the Lord and, and they're getting further and further away from the truths that they once held. Right here is what bothers me. That if the Lord tarries, their children, their grandchildren are going to wind up falling away from the truth. I was listening to a message here recently and the, the, this preacher brought out this point in his message and which went right with our message from Wednesday night to, to Wednesday night ago in Amos. And, and this is what he said. Worship is the uniting word for the apostates. Let's just come together and worship. Well, you know what? All that sounds religious. But it's not done in spirit and in truth. Most of today's contemporary Christian movement is based uh, on worship. Not humbling themselves before the Lord, not surrendering to the Lord and the Word of God, not presenting their bodies a living sacrifice, uh, no repentance, no preaching on sin, no call to turn from their wicked ways. No, you just do you. However you want to worship is good. Let's just all come together and let's worship. Most of that so-called worship is done in song and music with very little to do with preaching. Now look, music has its place, but it should never have the preeminence over preaching. A contemporary group sent me an email and, which had the headliner, we would love to worship with you. And then I read their mission statement, and it said to seek an authentic resurgence of life-changing truth through unique, powerful, and inspiring presentations. There's nothing unique about their songs because it's contemporary. There's nothing powerful about their songs because there's no mention of the blood of Jesus Christ, no mention of surrender, no mention of humility, no mention of turning from sin. No, let's just all put our hands together and let's just bring the house down for Jesus. Let's all pull out our cell phones. Let's start waving them in the air and shining our light for Jesus. I watched their official music video for a few seconds. And the main singer was squinting his eyes at times and singing like he was in pain and uh, even like maybe he was having some gastrointestinal problems there as he was trying to sing. And I, My Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. One of the contemporary songs that some independent Baptist or claim to be independent Baptists, have embraced is Here I Am to Worship. And by the way, that's a hill song. That comes from hill song music. I almost gagged when I read the lyrics of that song and, and, and listened there to that song. And, and it has an 80s rock or an 80s ballad style music. That first verse in that song could be sung to any little G God out there. Nebuchadnezzar could have had a praise and worship group singing that first verse of that song to his statue of gold and it had been fitting. And then at the end of this song, it goes into the 7-Eleven mode. 
and just keeps repeating and repeating, I'll never know the cost of seeing my sin on the cross. No mention of Jesus who bore our sin in his body on the cross. No mention of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus for our justification. There, there, there's really no hope there. I'll never know. That song mentions God or, and hints or makes allusions to Jesus, but only if you already know the Bible story. And it's typical of most modern day contemporary Christian music songs. That song, Here I Am to Worship There, or Here Am I to Worship, that song would be suitable for about any type, and I mean across the board, any type of religious group that falls under the ecumenical movement or that Christian umbrella, non-divisive, all based on emotions and feelings and not much direct truth. If you listen to 90% of the southern gospel groups today, they're going to say things like this. We have gathered here to worship the Lord. There's no preaching. There's no surrendering. No one getting under conviction of their sin. Just anyone and everybody. Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Southern Baptist, Methodist. Hey, let's just all come together and let's just all worship the Lord. Let's just hold hands and we'll sway back and forth. And, and I tell you what, no, no barriers, no barriers except for the cover charge, except for the, the entry fee to get in. Because if you don't pay, you don't get in. These groups will come and worship with you if you'll pay them and give them a generous size love offering. These southern gospel groups and these contemporary groups are making money off of the word worship. There's nothing wrong with the word worship, by the way. There's nothing wrong with God-ordained worship, which is in spirit and truth in accordance to the direct word of God. If it's done decently and in order and it's in line with the word of God and it honors God, then it's right. You remember the story in the Old Testament when Joshua and Moses, they were coming down the mountain and they heard the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. You remember what Joshua said? He thought it was the sound of war, but it was worship going on. In Exodus 32 and verse 17 it says, And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It's not the voice of them that shout for mastery. It's neither is it the voice of them that cry from being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. If music sounds country or sounds like soft rock or like any other type of worldly secular music and, and they put religious words with it, then it's nothing but confusion. Joshua and Moses had been spending time with the Lord and they immediately recognized a sound of confusion. The Israelites were worshiping that false god, that little G god, that golden calf, and it sounded like the noise of war. Look up some of the groups there that you listen to and, 
and, and pull, pull up where they, where they go and who, who they hang out with. You may or may not be shocked as to where the dollar will lead them. Not the Lord, but the dollar will lead them. But yet they say, we're here to worship. I had a group call me and the other day and ask if they could come and put on a concert for us. And the guy said he'd do it for an offering. Not we'll sing for the Lord, but we'll sing for a love offering. And he said, beggars can't be choosers. Well, I thought to myself, thank God I'm not a beggar. <laughs> I can be choosy as to who we have here at our church. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to sound like the world. I don't want any confusion in this house. Why is that? You think about it. Last four Wednesday nights, we've been preaching on the day of the Lord. Because as soon as the church is out of here, the day of the Lord is going to begin. The great tribulation is going to start. How is that man of sin and that false prophet, how are they going to lead the world in a one world religion? It's not that all the different religions are going to be abolished under the Antichrist, but it will simply be set up as an all-inclusive style of worship. And everything, by the way, is being set up for that right now. It's, it's all set up for that. People are being conditioned for this style of worship. Here in Myrtle Beach, there's going to be an event take place called Singing in the Sun in April. And I'm not promoting this event, by the way. But you're going to have people from all religions and all beliefs gather together and pay dearly to... Worship. 99% of those groups singing are going to say something to this effect. We're here to worship with you. We're here to worship with the audience. You're going to even hear them say, did you come to worship? And all people are going to clap and they're going to go, woo, and yeah. I mean, they're going to get rowdy. But yet, when they go to their congregations, they're quiet as a church mouse. Why do people like those style of things? Because there's no rules. Very little Bible, by the way. Everyone worshiping in their own way. Whatever they believe in, baptismal regeneration, infant baptism, work-based salvation, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Southern Baptist, who knows who else is going to be there to worship. Last year in November, on Mount Sinai, the Pope, Islam leaders, Hindus, and many other religious leader, leaders gathered on Mount Sinai. And this is the statement that they made. We come to Sinai in a movement of repentance and quest to bring together leaders from the world's major religions to put forth a prophetic interreligious call to action with, now listen to this, climate justice. Ten universal commandments. And then they repented of their climate sins to Mother Earth. Pope Francis called for the termination of all fossil fuels. Huh. 
Does all this kind of fall in place with what the push is from our government who wants to push this woke climate change policies? Next year in the UN, the United Nations back the COP28. This was the COP27 back in November, but they're going to meet at Abu Dhabi. That's where the Abrahamic house of prayer is. Hey, you better be careful following for this contemporary music and contemporary movement because it's being used to set up tribulation worship. If the Lord tarries, how many children, how many grandchildren are going to get sucked into this false worship because their parents and grandparents initiated this by letting them listen to that type of contemporary music and embrace the idea that there's no such thing as a right or a wrong way to worship the Lord. I think God has a lot to say about what true worship is. True worship happens when people respond to the word of God. They respond to the preaching of God's word and they apply his truths to their hearts. You cannot separate worship and truth. The apostates have used this word worship to make merchandise of Christians. The Antichrist is going to gather the whole earth together for worship. They've already said his Ten Commandments into play. Let's save the earth. No wonder there's such a great push to implement climate change programs in our society. It's all setting up for the tribulation period. It's more important than ever that true believers hold on to the truth, that we hold fast. Jesus told the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take Thy crown. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, prove all things. All things. You better prove it. Hold fast that which is good. How do you prove all things? Well, you put it in the balance. You put the word of God here, you put it here, and if it don't measure up, then guess what? It's wrong. You prove all things by the word of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We need to prove all things, and that includes which type of music we listen to and give ourselves to. You better research who you listen to. What's their agenda? Read up on them. What's their agenda? Who do they perform for? Who do they perform with? Where do they perform? Are they even saved? I asked a group of traveling singers if they would provide me with a brief testimony of their salvation if they were King James only. They had good music, they had good songs, but for some reason they had a problem giving me a testimony. The Bible says we're to hold fast that which is good. 
In 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Here in 1 Samuel, we find a lady who came to a breaking point. And she turned to the Lord for help. You know what? She finally came to that point where she said, enough. Enough. I'm going to the Lord. And when she turned to the Lord, oh, she was broken. Oh, but after she dumped her burden off at the Lord's feet, she left a different person. Her countenance was changed. God gave her some peace while she waited on his promise. God changed Hannah. She came to God broken, but God pieced her back together. (laughs) What's going to have to happen for us to see a revival in our lifetime? We're going to have to get broken. it's, It's that simple. How many years have went by and we just kind of Going through the motions. That's what Hannah was doing. God heard Hannah's prayer. God gave her the desires of her heart and Hannah kept her promise to God. And by the way, her husband was on board with this. He had the right to nullify that vow that she had given to the Lord, but he chose to honor it. Why is that? Because he saw the hand of God move in his house. All because one person, not Elkanah, Hannah got a hold of God and God got a hold of her. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I have prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. God went on to use Samuel in a mighty way. That last part of verse 28 is not to be ignored here. And he worshiped the Lord there in the house of God. And even though Eli was not perfect, And we know that his sons were no good. Hannah still put Samuel in the best place possible to worship the Lord because it was there that the Lord spoke to him. It was there that the Lord called him into the ministry. God took a broken woman who came to him in bitterness of soul and gave her a song of joy. Look at chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread and they that were hungry ceased. 
so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is wax feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God answered Hannah's prayer. He gave her a son. Matter of fact, he gave her three more sons and two daughters and Hannah got broken over her condition. She got broken over the condition of her home life and oh, she came to God and God heard her prayer. Hey, she put her son under the best influence possible in her day. She, she put her son in a place where God could get a hold of him. Oh, we need to guard what we allow in our homes. Why? Because it will have an influence on those that are there. More than ever, we need to take a strong stand and hold fast that form of sound words. We better hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, the Bible says. No wavering there. Jesus says in Revelations 2.25, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Are you holding fast? The devil knows that music is a great influencer. Apostasy. Those who are turning away from the Lord are being led away by music. Hey, while all others are going that way, let's just hold fast. Hannah finally got to the point where she said enough. She did not wait for anyone else in her family to make a move. She wanted a change in her life. She wanted God's help. What's it going to take for us to get broken over our sin? What's it going to take for us to get broken over our situation and over our loved ones and over our country? Can I say tonight that the same God that Hannah turned to is the same God that we turn to today. And there is hope for everyone that will come to Him.